Blog Talk Radio. Chatting with Sherry is presented by the writers and illustrators of the future. They've been providing a means for new and budding writers to have a chance for their creative efforts to be seen and acknowledged. Welcome to Chatting with Sherry. Today we're going to talk with the, well, sorry, the charming and talented actor and photographer Joshua Charles Daw. That, that little pause didn't have anything to do with Joshua. It is my throat. It's giving out, so I do apologize for that. Joshua has been a photographer, he's an actor, he's been doing a lot of different kinds of projects. Um, He works with Anthony J. Sharp, and uh, we have a really fun conversation. It goes in all different directions, it's a lot of fun. Um, This is a recorded show, so please don't call in. Here's Joshua. Hi, Joshua. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. I've been following uh, a lot of your stuff, especially um, the little bit you did for Anthony's films, Anthony J. Sharp's film series. It's really, really cool. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Thanks. Um, that was, I'm so stoked to to finally sort of worked on something official with Anthony and I've known about that project for a little bit and there wasn't an in for me and it came in at the last minute and I was like, oh man, this is great and we had to scram. So I'm so glad that it's it's tracking and you know, people like it. Yeah, and I thought it was really cool how you guys hooked up with, I forgot the actress's name that follows you. Um, Melissa? She, you guys were, it was like, even though I know you were in different places, it was really well done. I, you guys were really on. <laughs> it was, it was, um, I was really stoked that that came out because, like, it was really, I was sort of, I didn't have time to learn my lines and I was reading and we, and we were sort of having to kind of look at the footage that she'd sent and go, okay, cool, so she's sort of looking this way and how do we sit? Do you know what I mean? Like, it was quite difficult. It wasn't like she was on Skype, sort of saying, directing it. She was, at the time we were shooting, she was asleep. <laughs> That's a... <laughs> I know, I know. I, I actually, because of time zone differences and stuff, I have that a lot. I had yeah. I had a, a gentleman from Tokyo that I'm supposed to interview later, and he says, well, we could do it at, I forgot what time it was, but it was like 3 a.m. my time. And I'm like, no, I don't think I'd be uh, very good at that time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 3 a.m.? No, no way. Yeah. Yeah, time zones are really, especially with in the world of Skype and Zoom and all the stuff we have now, people say, well, we'll meet at 12 o'clock. 12 o'clock when? Whose time? Yours or mine? <laughs> yeah, there's that big conversation. So, my time or your time? And exactly. I have a very good friend who... I used to live in Scotland when I was younger, and so we've been friends for nearly 20 years, and he still can't quite get his head around, like, when is my going-to-bed time? Because he's texting right as I'm going to bed, and right as I'm just about to wake up. And it has been like that for 20 years. I'm like, I know you know how to count, dude. I know you know. It's right on your phone. There is a phone app. Yeah. That's what I, I rely on is the phone app. You just plug in the city and it tells you the time and day. Yeah, it's not hard. Mm-mm. It's just like um, I had, um, I have a thing where I do radio plays and... I had um, several people from England take part uh, last year, and one girl just couldn't get it in her head that California and London are not on the same time zone. Oh, <laughs> you've got bigger problems, I think. <laughs> yeah, so I just basically, uh, I actually have said, you know, maybe this isn't, because that one was live. And I said, maybe when we do a recording, you can join. I don't think you're getting this <laughs> live thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how do I say this nicely? 
Exactly. I always try to say it nicely. <laughs> yeah, that's a better way to go. I know, I know. Um, I just told you about something in my little green room about my article that I wrote about women in film. I'm so excited. Um, women in silent film. Um, and, and what do you think about that? Is that cool? Oh, i got to explain. I, I've been writing um, a series of, um, of articles about important women in silent film and all the different aspects of silent film they're in. And I got acknowledged by a big museum here in the U.S. that that Fort Lee, New Jersey, where film started. And I'm just so jazzed. <laughs> well, I, I might ask the questions that anyone on, on my side of the pond might be asking too, if you could set the stage for me a little bit. So when you, you're, you're writing articles that you post yourself, or are you writing them for some someone else? Like, how does that work? Okay, they are on a... It's called Flapper Press, and mm -hmm. it's by an actress who's also a writer named Elizabeth Grayson. She played Raven mm -hmm. in Highlander. I don't know if you know her. Oh, yeah. Man, I love Highlander. Yeah. And she's very, really wonderful and very talented. She's actually um, doing documentaries. She's uh, got a thing called Generation Z. She's uh, a, a documentary about it. And she also has this adjunct, which is the um, Flapper Press, and which is basically a bunch of articles from different aspects of all different parts of life, from yoga to science to poetry to short stories, all kinds of stuff. Anyway, so I've written several things for her. And I just get this idea, because I was researching for something else, and I asked her, could I do um, an article, I was only going to do one, um, about uh, Mary Pickford, um, because my grandmother knew her. She uh, actually uh, sewed costumes for her when she was on Broadway. So I got stories from my grandma about her, and I asked, could I write an article? And she goes, actually, why don't you write a series about that? I went, Really? Right. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the kind of response you want, isn't it? Yeah, I'm like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, and then the tell me the name of the place that contacted you to give me some context on that, because these are all very um, well. Maybe the, the people of like Aussies would would know these places, but but I haven't heard of it before. So, okay, um, explain um, them to me. Okay, the place that acknowledged it is called the Barrymore uh, Film Center in Fort Lee, New Jersey. Barrymore is for John Barrymore, the great actor, um, who was famous in silence, as well as talkies. And he's right. one of the three siblings, uh, John, Lionel, and Ethel Barrymores, who were famous stage and film actors and Drew Barrymore is a great granddaughter of them so just okay. to give you an idea wow. yeah 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 <laughs> it really runs in the family yeah and Fort yeah. Lee New Jersey is actually where film started They there was a whole it was like Hollywood in the east coast um okay it um, Edison's studio was there um, there was a bunch of studios, and this woman that uh, was the latest one I wrote about was Alice Guy Broget. She was a French lady who was the first person who came up with the concept of writing a fictional story and putting it on film because before then, people put street scenes on. That was the big thing to do, you know, get live street scenes so people are right there and, and they're part of the action of the street or get people laughing or kissing or something like that. But no stories. And she's like, well, and she loves stories. And she says, why can't we do that? And she was the secretary for the um, person who uh, ran the studio, Gaumont. And he said, well, 
it's sort of a girly thing to do, but if you get your secretarial work done, you can do that. And she she did it, and it was actually one of the most popular. It was called okay, I'm all excited. The fairy, <laughs> the fairy queen, or something. It was about you know the old legend that babies are born in like a patch of in the garden cabbage patch. That's it. The fairy cabbage patch. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's what the story was about. That was the first story on film. Isn't that that's crazy? I just saw something recently which I thought was, and I think this is what you're talking about, which was so incredible. Was the um, it was early footage, like street footage that you're talking about in New York that they had um, put sound engineering to, so they had created the whole atmosphere of it and then put it to these old style clips. Street in New York. It's incredible. It is incredible. And there's, um, this was done in 1928. There was, um, in the 1950s, there was a person who was a broadcaster, and his name escapes me at the moment. He was a, he did a, like a variety show. Um, black and white TV, 1950s, was very popular. And, um, he hired Marilyn Monroe for a commercial. I mean, he was big shot. Anyway, he did something called home movies back then that he put on TV as an entertainment, as part of his weekly TV show. And now it's like almost like a documentary, even though these home movies were basically his way of writing letters home. Hi, Mom and Dad, this is what I'm doing in Hollywood. And they have Griffith Park, 1920s. They have Hollywood with the cable cars in the 1920s. They have uh, the Beverly Hills Golf Course. They have all the different film studios. I mean, it, he's meeting Gary Cooper and Cary Grant in the 1930s. and It's the most fascinating Howard thing. Hughes. What? Howard Hughes, no doubt. Whoa. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember. I th he was in one. He had like two different films of it. One is called Hollywood, My Hometown, and I and some I can't remember the other one. There were two of them. And um, we have a station called Turner Classic Movies, where they show a lot of they show all, everything and. Um, it's one of the things, if there's nothing on, let's put on Hollywood, our hometown. So it's pretty much always on. Like maybe every six weeks or so, there it is again. Um, yeah. But if you've never seen it, it's worth it. Just because of the old stuff that's in it. It's just amazing. Yeah. I mean, he has Tom Mix. Tom Mix was an old cowboy actor in The Silence. Oh, hey, wow. He was... Uh, I must confess, I don't know a lot about it. I, I, it's weird. If you asked me when I was a film student, the only silent film actor I would have said I liked was Buster Keaton, because he was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> and Charlie Chaplin. Those are the only two. Not be, uh, and it had nothing to do with their sex. It was just because they were funny. Mm -hmm. But as I have grown older, I have come to appreciate silent film for the brilliance and the levels and the acting. And they did color, they did close-ups, they did um, split screen. This is 1912, you know, this is old movies. They did, um, there was, oh, they had, uh, Alice actually had, uh, sound in some of her films. She, um, uh, Edison had sound, but he had live orchestra, and people basically had to yell to be heard over the orchestra as they were supposed to be performing. <laughs> Didn't work out very well. But she okay. had, she had it recorded on a record and then playback like we do today. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is all in the early 1900s. Isn't that amazing? It is. And it's, it's, I saw something um, not so long ago. I want to say it was Buster Keaton, but I, I could be wrong. 
and it was just like a showcase of this particular um, silent film actor's stunts. And, you know, he's getting rolled around a cartwheel and then doing backflips off this thing and then jumping onto a coach that's going by and throwing through a window and it was all in all in a one shot and, and all on this completely built um, outdoor soundstage, I guess you could call it. It was incredible. I was like, damn, that, that dude's legit. Like an old Tom Cruise. It, it, that was that yeah. It sounds like it was Buster Keaton. He was, mm-hmm. uh, he was the best physical comedy performer. Sorry, Charlie Chaplin fans. Physical comedy mm-hmm. performer um, perfor- uh, that I've ever seen ever. I mean, really. Uh, the the thing that um, they show quite often about the building falling on top of him with his with his body still there and he's still okay because the the window he actually did that there was no stunt man there and it was just he just timed it he there was he it could have killed him I have seen that yes holy shit yeah 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 it really could have that's that's putting it on the line yeah and 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 there was another actor called Harold Lloyd who had a famous scene, I'm sure you've seen it, where he's hanging on the hand of a clock off the side of a building. It's been everywhere. I mean, they show it in all kinds of, um, like, um, other movies and, and stuff about movies. And even when they uh, did, um, I think they said MGM, I think he did a film for them, and they still showed it. But his name is Harold Lloyd, and he's hands. He's really hanging on the clock, and there's no stunt man. Would you do that? I don't think I'd do that. <laughs> I, I, I think even if I wanted to, a I wouldn't, or b no one would let me. You know. <laughs> I know. I mean, Burt Reynolds was a stuntman, and they wouldn't let him do stunts. <laughs> Yeah, the the only one was Deliverance, where they somehow managed to get a pass on that um, getting getting thrown down the river scene. They all actually did that, and they waived their insurance rights on it just to get it done. Yep. If, if I'm if I'm recalling that story correctly, I, don't I think that's what Bert said. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that was probably his idea. <laughs> probably, I think. Well, I certainly was him who was telling the story. So. But yeah, and him and and the other person who was a stunt man was John Wayne, and they wouldn't let him do anything. He did. He was a he was a horse wrangler. John Wayne was a horse wrangler, who right. became a stunt man, who got lucky, and became an actor. He was it's actually pure luck, and that was again from the silence. Yeah, yeah I just watched Trumbo the other day. That's an interesting insight into. Kind of man he was, giving me funny for a moment. Wasn't it fascinating? I had no idea he rode in his bathtub. <laughs> I, I hadn't even heard of him until then. So there you go. Yeah, I must he, say, I, I, I'm a shit with, with the old, old film stuff. I sort of pick it up from the 70s, and and, and, I'm, and I'm very more and more of the time invested in modern cinema. I like all cinema, but I mm. but the seventies is when I grew up. So <laughs> even though it's considered old, then I'm old. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Because <laughs> I was a I was a little girl to a teenager in the seventies, so I I wasn't able to see a lot of the films, but I remember when they came out mm-hmm. because there was a lot of. Um, well, let's just say there were films my parents would never have let me see, like Hair. Um, <laughs> or the play Hair. Um, you know, they're naked on the stage. Um, <laughs> oh. Yeah, you throw out all these, these references and films at me, and I'm like, oh, man, I don't know these. I can't, I can't join in. <laughs> there was it was um, during the seventies. It was it was the same people who did Jesus Christ Superstar. Okay. Yeah. It, it was um, yeah. I wasn't allowed to see that either because um, there was some things that were kind of bad for a little girl to see. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I saw it later yeah. when I was an adult. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
when I was in college, that's when I saw, uh, most of the stuff I wasn't allowed to see in the 70s, uh, I saw in the 80s when I was in college. <laughs> but, made up for lost time. Yeah. Um, but that's how I, I actually got, I, I didn't get into silent films actually until about 10 years ago. But um, I was actually introduced to silent films when I was in college, film school. Right, 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 right. yeah, cool. I, I'm, I studied art history but back in the day when I wanted to be an illustrator. And I always struggled as a young person going back and looking at the history because it was just, to me back then, I was like, I just want to do the thing. But I'm, I'm much more uh, fascinated by it now as a, as a, as a 17-year-old kid serious ADD, you know. Yeah, and also when you're um, when you're 16, 17, 18, you're n you're not really thinking about even though you want to act, you're not really thinking about history. But actually, I think one of the smartest things was when I went to college. The first class that you had to take if you wanted to take film was the history of film, and also we also had history of theater. So I get a foundation. Um, yes. So I was 18. I was still a kid, but actually, really, that's because there were names I recognized. Did you know there's been 20 Tyrone Powers? <laughs> that name actually goes all the way back into England during the 1700s, during, or no, 1600s or something during Shakespeare's time, this is, yeah, 16, uh, during Shakespeare's time, there was a Tyrone Power actor all the way back then. That's, I don't know that it's a name that I, I know that I've even heard before. Oh, he was a big movie star in the 50s. Right. Very good looking, very good, very talented. Um, but he was like, that's one of the things that hooked me into the class because I had I had watched the, several. He did a um, I can't remember the name of the movie, but he did a movie that was really sexy and good, and I was like, oh, he's cute. Um, <laughs> he died young, so he yeah he was like 42 uh, when he died. He had a stroke or a heart attack. Or uh, my wife probably knows Max. She's got a whole collection of, of old films that I still have yet to sit down and watch. I tried to watch an old Paul Newman film the other day. I cannot tell you the name of it. He's like a spy or something. And and I love Paul Newman, but I was like, all of us are sitting there going, I just feel like this one might have passed its use-by date. Like, this is a real tough watch, <laughs> you know? I don't even remember not. one where he's a spy. I love like Paul Newman. Wife, yeah. Wife doesn't know that. I want to say it's um, Card. I can't remember the actress's name, but you know he goes off to Italy or something like that, and then she sort of follows him out there, and she's on the plane when he gets on. He's like, he can't be here. He's doing this sort of business uh, covert operation for the government, but she thinks he's just that's a Hitchcock movie. That's a Hitchcock movie. I know. I that's never. Right. That's it. That's I it. have yeah. never actually seen that one. That's with Julie Andrews. That, that's it, Julie Andrews. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I can't yeah, remember yeah. the name of it. Tobias or oh, it starts with a T. Uh, Maybe, yeah, 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 yeah. It does start with a T. God, I can't remember. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we we, had, we turned it off. That was just not one. Of, I wasn't. It's not that I don't. I love Julie Andrews. I love Paul Newman. But I and and I love Hitch. It just I had no interest when I was. I never watched it. Um, I'm more of a romantic kid, like To Catch a Thief in Rear Window. Um, right. <laughs> Cary Grant, Jerry, Jimmy Stewart, you know. Um, <laughs> can't go wrong with Cary Grant. Um, <laughs> you do know Cary Grant, right? I do. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I can't tell you if I've ever seen one of his films. <laughs> he was actually very Crazy. funny. He was, he was elegant and handsome and all that, but he was funny. You want to see a movie right. that didn't age, that he made? Watch Father Goose. Okay. It's set during World War II, 
and it's the most uncary Grant movie he ever made, and it was his favorite. The audiences hated it because he wasn't classic yeah. Cary Grant, and it wasn't a big hit. Yeah. But it was his favorite, and it's my fa- one of my favorites. <laughs> Such a hard thing to navigate because you 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 give them the things they want for too long, and they're like, ah, oh, he doesn't do anything new, or she, and then you change it up, but we just want the old thing. So you got that's why you really got to just to your guns and create the things that you want to see. Exactly. And I think that's what he did. It was his production, so... Good, good. That's great. He was one of the first people who actually went into producing. He, he did another movie that's a favorite of mine, also set during World War II, called um, Operation Petticoat. Um, very funny. Very funny. It's about a pink submarine. That should get you interested. During the war. Oh, shit. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> oh, it's, the, it's really funny. Tony Curtis is in it. Um, I don't know if you wa- uh, watch any American TV shows, but there was uh, Gavin McCloud from the Mary Tyler Moore show was in it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, it, it's just, it's so funny. It is just really, really good. And I don't know. You might think that's a little. It's too funny to be dated. It's it's like saying a Peter Sellers movie is dated. It's too funny. <laughs> that's right. It's like um, what's the what's the other one that's considered the perfect comedy? And this is terrible. You'll know it straight away. It was Oscar Wilde. The importance of being earnest. Being earnest. Yeah. Like we we did that at, at acting school. Just not as a as a performance, but just to to as a as a learning sort of workshop piece comedy and like how old is that and it's funny as mm-hmm. that's sort of I guess I, I'm not a comedian like and I'm only just sort of starting to, to, to learn a little bit about it now but that's that's it but that's proof that there's a sort of formula that, that, that the timing of comedy you, you stick to that and you'll it'll last I mean importance of being earnest is just you can tell what a brilliant man Oscar Wilde is because he put so much so much nuance into these sometimes ridiculous speeches. Um, yes. <laughs> you're just like, you're laughing your head off and you're going, why am I laughing? Because I mean, it's the way it's written. He knows how the people will react and he just, he plays it and it's layered. It's one of, it's so brilliant. Did you know that, um, Men started playing the lead character, Lady Bracknell. No. David Suchet did Lady Bracknell. You know, Perot? David Suchet played Perot. I don't know that. Did uh, Perot from Agatha Christie? No. Uh, anyway, David Suchet is really a well-known English actor. He's done American films. He's done films in Australia. He's he's a theater actor. He does all kinds of stuff. Anyway, he's this little guy, um, very masculine with a deep voice, and he has a beard, mm. and he has a mustache, and he's like that. And he's playing a woman, a little old lady. Yeah, okay, I think, I, it's not the guy who played, um, was in Lord of the Rings, is that him? I don't know if David was in, I actually have a confession, i never seen it. <laughs> oh, well, okay, well now we're, we're both making some confessions here. <laughs> I know that. I'm sure it's him who played the dwarf, he was in Sliders. No, that's John Rice davies uh, He was in yeah, Indiana so Jones, same guy. Yeah. Yeah, that's, oh, that's yeah, not yeah, David. Yeah. That's a different actor. Really brilliant, uh, and I love him, but not the same person. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh well. Yeah, uh, John Rice Davies was in Indiana Jones as Sala, and he was in Sliders, and he was in uh, Victor Victoria. Really good actor, but not David. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh well. Uh, anyway, uh, but no. What I was just saying is, it it it. There's another. Um, there's a old play, and I've only seen it as a movie. 
um, where another man played an o older woman. It's called Charlie's Aunt, and he's pretending to be, but he's actually was in the play. It was written that way. This is now they're just decided, why don't we put a man in it? Wouldn't that make it interesting since everybody sees yeah, the importance of being earnest? <laughs> shake it up. Yeah. yeah. But Charlie's aunt was actually written that way, that, that he's pretending to be the aunt to help his buddy uh, with his girl. And it's really, it's, it's really, it's a very silly play. I don't know if the play's as silly as the movie. I saw it with Jack Benny. Do you know who Jack Benny was? I know the name. I can't place this film, but yeah, the name rings bell. Jack Benny was um, a, a comedian. He had a TV show, but he did movies and he was um, did radio. He he was he did a lot of stuff. He was from he he was on early TV, but he went all the way until the seventies. He did specials and. Because so, you were saying you, you knew the 70s, so I thought maybe you'd know them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Hmm. Classic. Yeah. No, Jack Benny is a classic. He's one of the funniest yeah. men. <laughs> but he was just, he did stuff in the 70s. Um, he did some Lucy's. Oh, okay. Yep. And he did both the Lucy Show and Here's Lucy. He was good friends with Lucy. And he did. Oh God! He did stuff with Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. He did a movie called "It's um, Well." Every comedian alive basically did a movie. It's a mad, mad, mad world. Did you ever see that? Oh no! It was everybody was in it. From uh, Jerry Lewis um, was in it. Um, everybody, every. And people who weren't known as comedians, like Spencer Tracy, was in it. <laughs> but it's that's a funny movie. I don't think that dates because it's just too crazy. <laughs> I think that's that's probably more impressive. I think from from my perspective, from the comedy or whatever, is to go back and watch something that's so before your time or whatever, and and still have relevance and still be funny and. I think that's really, really impressive. I do too. Um, and it's funny because as I watch shows, I realize they've brought back a bunch of shows on a cable thing here that I grew up watching as a child. So I was really excited to see them. Some stood up and some didn't. And I was like, you wonder what it, it's really hard to figure out because what dates it, you know, what makes it dated. And one of the things I realized, it, not understanding the culture of the time that you're in, like, um, I don't want to call anybody out, but um, here's Lucy. I love Lucy Ball. Lucille Ball is one of my favorite people of all time. But um, I watched I Love Lucy, which stands up. I watched the Lucy show, which stands up, but here's Lucy didn't stand up, and one of the things I think reason is that she didn't understand the 60s. She didn't understand the counterculture. She didn't understand what was going on, and neither did her writers. Mm -hmm. And it's so dated. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think if you play, and, and I'm just formulating this opinion now, so that could be total bogus, but I think if you play human condition, always like this is why Seinfeld will hold up forever because it's, it's really just playing in like how we are at our core and then you're not playing what just might be happening for a brief moment at that time so then you know and even even the way that they dress is a lot of neutral tones and neutral colors nothing is too specific of that time it will always stand up but when you lean into what's happening right now that fades and then because if all of your jokes and everything is based on all of that, you can you can disconnect from it. That's why some you know some even like not even like early two thousands, you can go back and watch a whole bunch of television and what have you from then. You're like, ooh, yeah, that that was a brief moment that we like that sort of thing. And also, I also think one of the things I I 
if your whole idea of your show is based on sex, whether you're going to have sex, who you're going to have sex with, what you're going to do, how you're going to meet the girl, how you're going to meet the boy, blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry. That's dated and boring. Because, really, who cares? <laughs> Sitcoms. Seems to be a pretty, pretty solid trend at the moment. I just watch normal people, and, and it is absolutely brilliant. But there's a lot of sex in that show. It's not that there's sex in it. It's more like if that's all it is. If there's no heart. That's the emotion, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's like, there was a lot of sex in a uh, show in the 80s called The Golden Girl. I actually had a partner. Oh, yeah. It was a Did you? Yeah. I loved Golden Girls. I played a homeless mother. All right. <laughs> it, was, it was one of the best jobs. Um, but... Uh, Golden Girls was great because, first of all, it was four older women who were totally together, understood their, 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 their age, they, they played their own age, but they understood the time period, they understood, not the time period that they were living in, but their time period of life, that people that are in their 60s and 70s and 80s still want the same things that everybody else wants. And I think that's one of the reasons it stands up, because it's so human and funny. You know what I mean? It, it, there's, there's such depth in it. And yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great combination. And there's a lot of sex in there. Just glance yeah, alone. Yeah, talk about it. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Memory serves me correctly. Murphy Brown was another one that I reckon would still stand up if you were to watch it. Yeah, I love Murphy. Cam mm. Bergen was. Well, actually, the entire cast of the original show was brilliant. Oh, her painter was the I, best. Oh, God. I loved him. I was so upset when the poor man killed himself. Oh, geez. I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah, he died. He was. Um, and. Oh, uh. and I think he was very sick, and I think that's why. But right. he was a wonderful actor. He was in he he was in uh, Remington Steel and Heart to Heart. He did a lot of different TV shows oh, wow. be, before he got into Murphy. Um, hmm. In Remington Steel, he played like this uh, this guy who knows everybody and can get Remington into a place that is really hard to get into, and. He, Right. He lives on a. I think he lived on a a train, uh, uh, like a caboose of a train. Yeah. <laughs> All right. He was the funniest character. Is really just quirky, uh, just adorable. And I remembered him from that when I started. Oh, is that the guy from Remington Steel? <laughs> I just watched a, an old interview with uh, Pierce Brosnan talking about Remington Steel, like. Four Golden Eye, and um, yeah, it was it was because it, it was back in Ireland, and they were trying to give him a stick about it. He was very good in this interview. A lot of people sort of hate on Pierce a bit, but I reckon he's I like him. I love Pierce Bronson. He's one of my mm. favorite favorite people. Actually, I really loved him in Remington Steel. <laughs> mm. I loved him, and it was, I felt bad. This is what I really felt bad for. He was supposed to be James Bond mm. before yeah, before out. Goldeneye. He was supposed yeah, to do the Timothy Dalton James Bond. And the reason why he did it is because I did it in part of it because I was too young. But there was a fan writing campaign to keep Remington Steele on another season, and it did. Oh. And because it got renewed, because of the fan writing campaign. He couldn't do Bond, which he, was his dream. And he I felt, got it in the end. Yeah. yeah, he did. I mean, it worked out. <laughs> it worked out. Uh, he probably would have been too young to step into that slot. He needed that little bit of age into him. Yeah, and and maybe a little bit that disappointment probably helped. Mm, mm. It yeah, gave that depth to that character, you know, I mean, that's all Bond is, really, you know, the reason he's so angry is someone killed his wife. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Um, but he's, that's where all the anger came from. Sort of a continual, if you really think about the, the whole Bond thing, it's like a continual revenge story. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they started Casino Royale in the same... Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, Casino Royale goes back. That's what was mm. crazy. Uh, it's supposed to be pre-Sean Connery. And that's why... Yeah. That's why uh, Pierce was quote-unquote too old to play the part anymore. <laughs> Just had a... Uh, he also hit the ratings went there for his last one. Yeah, that's yeah. what... No, actually, uh, the last one was like a hundred million or something. It, no, it did very oh. well. <laughs> did it? Yes. yes. No, it had wow. nothing to... That was the anniversary of Bond. Even if Pierce wasn't in it, people would have gone to see right. it because it was the big okay. 50th anniversary of Bond. No, it had nothing to do with it. It was all age. And if you there think you about it, it's really hilarious because Sean Connery and uh, Roger Moore, who I love both dearly, and they were both brilliant Bonds, <laughs> were all both in their 70s when they were playing Bond and, and Pierce was barely 60. He would have been in his early 50s, I would have thought, yeah. When he got when he, when he timed out, because he would have only been in, in the hot seat for, what, six years? Just, yeah, very short time. Like that. Yeah, so he probably wasn't even 50 yet. So, no, I mean, look at old mates, um, mid-50s now, isn't he? Who? Early 50s, um, Daniel Craig. Yeah, he's in his early 50s. Yeah. yeah. Roger Moore was definitely the, the oldest, wasn't he? Roger was the oldest. Yeah, yeah, he would have been, yeah, getting on. That's weird now, when you go back and you watch that. It's like, well... You're a bit old. He was a bit old, but... His bond was more fun. His bond was a yeah, he, a fun bond. He was. Yeah, he was the smoothest of them all, I think. Yeah, Sean Connery was the intense one that pretty mm. much Daniel Craig is like. Mhm. Mm and and Roger as as Bond was more fun. He was just you yeah. know smooth and cool and and yeah, I do admit that was the first Bond I ever saw. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think um, with yeah, with James Seymour, Live and Let Die. That was the first Bond I ever saw. I think maybe that was the first one that I ever saw too. Maybe Rings a Bell. Yeah, and that introduced like, James did? Seymour. Oh, of course, yeah. I thought that was interesting. I forgot. And they recently were showing it on one of our pay-per-views, and I went, oh, yeah! <laughs> um, okay, we're at the point where I want to talk about your stuff, so we're going to get right. off the my cr really weird film knowledge and TV knowledge. Um, <laughs> I'm a, um, I love talking about it, so I hope I didn't bore you. <laughs> Not at all, not at all. I wish I just I wish I had more of the same knowledge because I'm the same as you and I'm often the person in the room who has the most knowledge on the films that we're talking about. Everyone's like, Yeah, I haven't seen it, I haven't seen it, don't know him, haven't seen it so you kinda you run this course of uh trying to find something that people have seen. <laughs> and it it can end pretty quickly if they haven't. Uh well I mean I appreciate it, but I just the thing is is I think film history is just as important as any other kind of history, especially if you're in the business. <laughs> Don't you? Like, oh. I do. Yes, I do. 100%. Um, so, well, why don't we talk... Um, do you want to talk about the um, film you um, are making you know, the the series for Anthony, or do you want to talk about the film that you did before we shut down, or what would you, what would you like to talk about? <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk about how, I think that's probably how I came across your table, so to speak, with the um, Perfect Chaos tag your um, series that Anthony sort of 
um, um, together with some other people, yeah. Okay. That's actually, I thought, like I said at the beginning, one of the coolest ideas. Um, so, were you on in the ground floor? Because I know you're very good friends with Anthony and Julie. I knew about it when it started. Um, and Anthony said to me, like, listen, I'm actually really love to for you to do one but at the moment it's kind of on a nomination thing so you know through the guys I've been nominated to do this and essentially you weren't my first choice so I've already nominated my next guy and and there it goes um, I was like that's cool like of course of course you know I'm, I'm, and um, it started to, to unfold and unfold and unfold and um, and then, yeah, it's like, you know, the 11th hour type thing, the, the next person, something had come up and wasn't able to make their, their episode. And he's like, well, here you go. Here's your shot. And you've got, you've got three days. Get writing. Um, and, and I was very fortunate that Anthony was like, well, look, I know it's a pretty tall order and I've got almost, um, an eight week year old daughter, um, so we're we're bunkered down, you know, learning how to be parents and and dealing with you know all the craziness in the world as well. And he's like, so let's do it together, and that's and that's where it started. Is it is it weird with the shutdown? I mean, are you guys? It it seems like everybody is handling it pretty well, but you're with your family all the time. Is it? Is it blooming, or is there tension? Uh, how's it going? No, it's great. I look. I I get it. I was, from someone was talking to me about this the other day, and uh, so like I do understand. You know, if you have lingering things or you know depression on any kind of scale and what have you, but for me, um, I'm, I'm on the I'm on the far side of that. I'm the complete opposite. So I'm happy as Larry to be sitting in the couch for weeks on end with my daughter and my wife and whenever I get a chance to do some exercise and, and do some writing and, and all that it's amazing so to, to be I mean we're not destitute either but we're not we're not wealthy or anything like that but I think to be complaining about that would be insane as long as everybody's healthy and you're together, and you're enjoying yourself. I think that's what's really important. Yeah, healthy across the board. You know, not just well, I'm I'm super angry all the time, but I exercise a lot. You know what I mean? You've got to be like <laughs> healthy everywhere. It's In really the mental important. too. Yeah, up here on top. Totally. Yeah. 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 And some people are sort of saying, oh God, I'm just, you know, this this whole I can't do it. What people are most upset about is just being told that they can't have these things because if they really looked at it how much of it would they have actually done in those six weeks that they say that they're so distressed about not doing now you know probably maybe one time I think you know? so and, and no yeah and no one's told you you can't leave the house like if you're still allowed to go out for exercise at least here you are so yeah you're too you know what there's there's a street outside and there's a park across the road and there's lawn and Go to it, man. Be proactive. You know, evolve. And it's weird. I was like, I was looking, it was really hot the other day, and I was like, am I allowed to swim in the pool? Because there's nobody swimming in the pool. Am I allowed to or am I not? I mean, it is a community pool, but they clean it every week, even though nobody's using it since the shutdown. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's a tough one. It's one yeah. of the things I've been wondering about. Are we allowed to? Yeah, I know it's great, it's great. But um, so yeah, we and we were lucky that when the project finally came to my door, we were sort of days away from um, the ban being lifted. So we were sort of able to probably get a little bit more interactive than what the early um, 
people who were part of the project were, you know, when it was really, when everyone was really stressed out and really staying at home. Um, were you, before all this happened, were you working on any, I mean, I know you do a podcast. Um, did you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I have my podcast, Big Wonder. Um, fortunately, because I knew Layla was on the way, I recorded a bunch of um, episodes like in advance. So I had sort of four weeks of episodes up my sleeve before um, before it hit. Um, but yeah, the podcast is, is 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 really for filmmakers um, here in Melbourne, but but not people who set out to be filmmakers per se. Even though they do they do come down and have chats, it's it's it, at its at its core, it's talking to anyone who's had to diversify their skills in order to remain relevant. So, like myself, who was um, just an actor, not just an actor, but an actor, and then I'm not getting any parts. So, well, how do I how do I have something to act in? Well, maybe I need to learn how to write it, and then maybe I have to produce something, and um, you know, maybe I need to learn how to shoot it too, and maybe edit it, that sort of thing. So, most of my guests are people like me and Anthony who are just doing everything to, to, to keep moving, to keep it going. That's so, do you have a film project that you're working on? Yes, so, and that's why um, Big Wonder came about, was to build an audience around a script that I was writing and then have since finished, so that when the, that, that magical time comes and I get to stand in front of a, a group of producers and sell my heart out, when that question comes, well, what's your pre-existing audience and, you know, how have you tested this idea and why would we, because I also want to play the lead in it, why would we let you play the lead? Well, because I've got, you know, 15,000 people who've been listening to me talk about this film for for a year and have seen me do, you know, screen tests and I've got all this footage here and, and what have you. So that's where, so the film, The Park, um, that's why the podcast came about was to try and coerce that along and build an audience around that film. Cool. And have you have you gotten the financing? No, no. So <laughs> I'm, I'm at the sort of yeah. Like I remember maybe about eight months ago, I had someone on the podcast, and I had just got through to sort of my close to a final draft, and he said, and he read it, and he said, "Great, this is really, really great." And in my experience, from from here. You, it'll be three years before this gets made, and it's a pretty ambitious project, but it's, it's it's a really good one, so keep at it. And since then, I've been working with a producer by the name of um, Julia Berg, and she's based in London, but she's also an incubator. So she works with writers and their ideas to get it ready for pitching, and then she takes your pitch and your one page and your idea to her network of producers and sort of makes the introductions for you. So actually Anthony is doing my uh, pitch deck, which is a, a little bit more of an elaborate um, visual presentation in a producer's pitch for me as we speak. And once that comes through, then I'll take that back to her and um, we will start. But it's a perfect time actually, because you know six months ago, there was it, it would have been a standard sort of slog to get it over the line, but but since all of this um, pandemic crisis and um, there is a huge amount of backlog and, and content that's being created to fill up this time lost, and there will be a bottleneck coming out of the states. So they, this is what the sort of people are speculating around, and that the production companies out there are loaded. With their, their, their plates are full for 18 months yet they can't travel to film any of these things so they're going to have to start outsourcing these projects um, and sending key crew off to another country and quarantine them and then pick up the rest in that country um, and Australia and, and New Zealand will be will be a hot spot for sure So, and South Africa, South Africa has got um, interest from Netflix and that's my film is called The Park which is set in the Kruger National Park and deals with um, an anti-poaching unit that is that is trying to save rhinos from extinction, and so 
the plan will be to go and talk to Netflix and their sort of branch out there in South Africa and and it'd be all South African crew and yeah, it's a good time for that actually I think. And it's a good time in the world for it too because there's so many endangered species right now and it's worse well, than ever. And, yeah, and what's disgusting about it is that it's got worse since the pandemic. It's just so. I don't even understand that. I mean, leave the animals alone. Right? Yeah. And this is what the film's about. It's not just about the um, the evil poacher. It's it, not at all. You know, it's about a family man. Well, it's not about him, but, but on that side of the coin, family man just trying to protect his children, and he has no other way to do it. And suddenly someone comes along and says, well, look, I'll give you 60 grand, and, the, and here's a gun, and your kids will never starve. They'll be educated. They'll have a roof over their head. What do you do? You know? The devil or not. <laughs> right? Like you would, like, there's a, there's a, I think, a great scene in the film where the answer is, I would do terrible things to protect my children. I think that's that's one of the things, yeah, I think that's one of the things that make humans human. Totally. You're not going to, you're not going to choose the last rhino over your five children. You choose your children, like, every time. So, that's a... So that's why it's such a hard thing to um, to stamp out, you know, because yeah. you're, you're, you're going against um, human nature, survival and things. But I still want the animals to survive. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So what you have to do is you have to somehow, amazingly, <laughs> change the economy so yeah. they have jobs to go to. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. But I said some I said this to someone the other day, I said, you know, if there was an animal like that here in Australia, it just you just couldn't pay someone enough. You might get one or two people chancing it. Everyone's, everyone's making money. They don't need to go and risk their lives to go to prison to chase after an animal that could kill them also. That's it's true. necessity, it's desperation that, that drives that, that cause. And a lack of um, political will to stop it on certain parts of point. You know, there's, there's definitely components, definitely people out there, lots of people who are fighting fiercely to stop it, but, but they are met with corrupt politicians at every turn, and that makes it really tough. It does. It does. Um, we're coming to the end, so um, could you give uh, your website, if you have one, and uh, what your social media is? Um, I have a photography website, so I've been a um, photographer of sorts for the last sort of 12 years. I was in high fashion for seven years and I was living out in Dubai and New York and then I, that's how I got the, the acting bug and came back home to train but I still work as a full-time photographer so my website is actually all photography but that is www.joshuacharlesdawe.com um, and I think my Instagram unfortunately is really hard to verbally replicate but it's, I think it's Joshua underscore child underscore door yeah. underscore actor. <laughs> so, yeah, have fun with that one. I just, just I my name on IMDb is probably the easiest way to go for an acting page these days. I just wondered, your name is unusual. Why would you have to do all the underscores? Right? You would never think that there was another Joshua Charles door out there, but there you are. And 7 billion people? Yeah, there's a couple. Okay, all right. Um, um, really, uh, it's because you can't really get in touch with somebody with IMBD, that's why. Are you on Facebook and Twitter? Yeah, Facebook. Uh, I don't do the Twitter thing, um, and I hope that I'm never forced to. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Facebook, just my name, just my full name on Facebook. and But uh, people can reach out to me on Instagram. I'm pretty pretty active on Instagram, and they can... If they want to go along and check out um, Big Wonder on my YouTube channel, and it's just Big Wonder, um, and leave comments there, I'm I'm really keen to engage with people and find out what they like and what they don't like about the podcast. And yeah, cool. Um, thank you, Joshua. I really appreciate you taking the time to be a part of my show. Hundred percent. Thank you so much for reaching out. This is it's great to be on the other side of the chair. <laughs> I'm normally. I'm one of the one asking all the questions, so it's been really, really cool. 
Thank you. Um, yeah, it's, it's always weird to be the interviewee when you're used to being the interviewer. <laughs> I know, you want to swing it back, and you're like, well, you just go into autopilot and want to start probing for answers of your own questions. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually had people try to do that. <laughs> yeah, you've got you to rein it in. Yeah. Bit, yeah. 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 Anyway, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. And Take care. Thank, oh, sorry, you. Go on. thank you, and thank you for <laughs> chatting with Sherry. <laughs>